feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. So much so that it is so apparent around the country how it's been escalating that now even diehard Democrats are coming out and saying they don't feel safe in major cities across this country. And in some of the new polls that we've seen in the last day or so, crime is often competing with inflation as the top issue. And there's no surprise why. I mean, if you turn around every single turn, you see crime as a major concern. It's infiltrating every city. It's infiltrating every major neighborhood. And one of the stories that we're going to talk about tonight, and I want to get your calls on the thought of what happened with Congressman Lee Zeldin. Here he is, and he's not home. And his two daughters, his teenage twin daughters, are inside the house in Long Island. Shots ring out. Two men shot just outside of his home, hiding basically under the porch, if you will. And bullets were found 30 feet from where his daughters were actually doing homework. Can you imagine just how frightening and how scary? And so coming up in just about two or three minutes, we're going to have former New York Congressman Peter King Talk about how pervasive crime has become and how important it is to have, whether it's in the governor's position or the DA's position, to have somebody who cares about law and order. First off, here is former Democratic Governor David Patterson, and he believes that New York has never been so unsafe. This is a guy who's been there for years upon years in New York City, knows the city, knows the state, and he has never seen it as abysmal and as dangerous as it is right now. What's sort of brewing are the uh, close uh, amount of time until the governor's race and the other congressional races, and uh, still the issues related to crime seem to be uh, the most important to New Yorkers, and I hope that uh, All the candidates will heed that because for the first time in my life, even in the late 80s and 90s, when the crime rate was killing 2,000 people uh, a year, I never felt as unsafe as I do now just walking around. And God forbid, uh, sometimes we take the subway home from uh, WABC and uh, you're hearing about an assault on the subway almost every other day. And you're hearing about unprovoked attacks on the subway. And in fact, later on in the hour, I'm going to talk about the most disgusting comments from this repeat offender who was beating Elizabeth Gomes. That's the 33-year-old mother of two who now is at risk of losing an eye. He did an interview with the Daily News, and it was one of the most disgusting interviews I think I've ever heard from a criminal. I wasn't trying to kill her. I was just trying to give her a real good butt whooping, basically. Like as if we're supposed to be thankful for that. This is like a shameless, callous criminal. And we are seeing it over and over again, unrepentant, unapologetic. And to me, just thinking they can just game the system over and over again. 
Here's a little bit more. This is Lee Zeldin, the congressman, again, who is running for New York governor, as you know, on the GOP side against Kathy Hochul. And he describes what happened just outside of his house on Sunday. This is stunning. The girls were definitely shaken by what happened yesterday. My wife and I had just left the Columbus Day Parade in the Bronx yesterday when we received a phone call from Michaela. Uh, We have identical twin 16-year-old girls. Uh, Michaela was freaking out. Ariana is in the background on the phone with 911. At 2.18 p.m., shots were fired by 2.19. My girls were calling 911. They were just sitting there at the kitchen table doing homework when all of a sudden they're hearing gunfire. One of the bullets landed about 30 feet from where they were sitting. Two people were shot laying down uh, just about 10 feet or so from where, where they were sitting. As soon as the girls heard the gunfire, they heard the screams. They went upstairs. They locked themselves in the bathroom. They called 911. They called us. uh, And, you know, thank God it wasn't worse. Thank goodness it wasn't worse. Can you imagine his two 16-year-old girls, as you just heard, were home by themselves? And they're investigating what appears to be a drive-by gang-related shooting, still looking for the gunman or gunmen, uh, according to a number of different Sources, But it's just it's unbelievable when you hear the whole story. It is shocking. And this is how Lee Zeldin described what has now happened to him. It's become all too real. Literally crime showing up at our front doorstep when we were you know, getting back to our house. We had to go through crime scene tape. Uh, we were being told to be careful where we're walking because uh, their law enforcement was finding blood uh, on our property. Unbelievable. And he is running against Kathy Hochul on a law and order ticket, basically saying that day one, he would get rid of Manhattan soft on crime DA Alvin Bragg. Bravo about that. And joining us now to talk about all of this is former New York Congressman, my buddy Peter King. Congressman King, great to have you here on the show. Always great to you. It really is. Thank you. You know, what was your reaction first off, Congressman, to hear exactly what happened to Lee Zeldin's home? I mean, this is so stunning that here he is. Certainly, you know, he said, look, I want to clean up New York, um, really fighting, you know, the just deteriorating crime, the deteriorating justice system, the revolving door. And now crime has literally come to his doorstep. Yeah, it really has. When I first heard this, I heard a report that there were bullets fired near uh, Ali Zeldin's house. Not that maybe it was somebody's hunting rifle went off or there was something. Uh, it, it never, you know, the first instinct was this was not his two daughters being in a house and having uh, you know, bullets landing 30 feet away and two guys were shot and bleeding uh, actually un- under his front porch. I mean, this is just uh, madness. I mean, this is a solid uh, middle-class neighborhood, hardworking people. Uh, there's no reason to think something like this would happen in ordinary times. But now uh, these uh, it, our, our world has changed, and uh, people somehow try to pass this off. Well, you know, they weren't shooting at Lee; it was just sort of an accident. No, the, to me, in some ways, this is more dangerous. That in a middle-class neighborhood of hardworking people on a Sunday afternoon, that there's going to be drive-by shootings being carried on the sidewalk, and uh, bullets flying. People bleeding, I guess you must be um, assuming gang members or whatever the reason is. They're hiding under the porch. They've been shot. Uh, I mean, this this is just unheard of. I've never known, and I've been uh, living in Nassau County on Long Island now since 1967. I have never heard of this happening, this type of crime that's now coming into the suburbs. 
in again in middle income neighborhoods, uh, low what should be low crime areas, uh, and it's uh, it's really scary. Just like in Manhattan, you know, uh, you and I go to you know go into Manhattan, we go to work, we go to studios, and uh, I, I never even during the dark days of the seventies and eighties when they had so many murders that you have people being attacked and stabbed and beaten up and shot. Yeah, in you know, mid Manhattan in the middle of the day, Fifty Seventh Street, Madison Avenue at eleven o'clock in the morning, uh, and uh, it, it, and also the random murders, like or the random attacks. You know, some uh, woman walking down the street, and the guy comes by on a bike for no reason, just belts her, knocks her down. This, there's just uh, to me, it's a city that's out of control, it's a state that's out of control, and it's uh, seeping into the suburbs, into upstate, into everywhere. And uh, I blame this. I hate to be you know, pointing fingers when you go to the legislature, which passed these terrible bail reform and other so-called criminal justice laws. The district attorneys who won't enforce the laws. People like the governor who won't stand up to the legislature and somehow tries to say this is a gun control issue. And I'll stop by this and then you can interrupt me. But when Rudy Giuliani became mayor of New York, there were two million illegal guns in New York. There were probably as many as that when he left. But the fact is the murder rate, uh, beginning with him and continuing with Bloomberg, was down 80, 90 percent because the cops could take the guns off the street. The judges would put guys in jail. I mean, and the DAs would prosecute. And by the way, you hit it exactly on the head because back then they knew that there would be punishment. Don't you feel, Congressman King, that like now they feel they can just kind of get away with it? Yeah, because they do. They do get away with it. And uh, also with with the restrictions put on cops. I mean, I I was talking to a veteran cop who uh, uh, worked in Queens for many years, had uh, uh, so many citations and did an outstanding job. But he says that his commanding officer told him, told them that unless the person has a gun or a knife, if they're resisting arrest, it's better to let them go. Because, first of all, you run the risk of getting hurt yourself, losing your job. Because you can't use the proper methods to bring the guy down, and he's going to be out on the streets. So, uh, and so the, the bad guys know that the criminals know this, and even with you know with the shootings, they uh, uh, they, they feel they can get away with it more because they can go out on the street with a gun. Those two million guns, the bad guys are afraid to bring them out because the cops could had had the you know the uh, uh, stop and frisk. They could they 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 had a, a very good idea who might have the guns, who was acting suspiciously. They could check them now. You know, the guys tell the cops to drop dead, to get lost. They keep going. Yeah. And if the cop tries to bring them down, there's somebody there with a camera, uh, you know, videoing it. And, this, and next thing you know, the cop is fighting to stay out of jail or to keep his job or to keep his pension. Yeah. How sad is that? Boy, uh, the, the world is like upside down, Congressman King. You know, also, uh, what about these enormous rap sheets? I mean, it's amazing when you look back, like uh, there's a case of a New York City shoplifter with 153 arrests. Booked again after fleecing three Rite Aids. And then there's the case of uh, a kid who is, again, uh, robbing people 18 times. Um, And then even in some of the most severe, horrible cases of violence, you look at the track record and you see that these guys were wanted. Like, for instance, um, the guy in uh, Peter Kuntz. This is in... uh, Poughkeepsie, the case in the oh hotel God, lobby. Yeah. The guy, the Roy Johnson Jr., was wanted in two states as well as being a prime suspect in a murder in Poughkeepsie. And yet he's walking around opening fire like the Wild West in a hotel room. I mean, hotel lobby, it's astounding. You know, it almost becomes, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to misuse this word, it almost becomes monotonous. 
uh, as you know, that when someone's arrested, uh, invariably, the, the next story will be listing the 12, 13, 14 arrests that he's already had, how he's maybe served 10 days in jail with all of that, or maybe a few weeks, or he's, uh, out, on, he's out on bail or not on bail. He, he's released, you know, waiting trial. And he's, uh, again, uh, Mayor Adams, I wish he'd follow through more, but when he talks about New York being the only state where a judge can't put somebody in, in prison until trial based on dangerousness, uh, we're the only state that, where the judge, the, the judge does not have that discretion. This is insane. And uh, the thing is, in these neighborhoods especially, cops have a very good idea who the bad people are, who the criminals are, that, you know, the ones who are inclined to shoot, the ones who, who, are, who, are, who are likely to uh, carry out violent crimes. The police know that, so they monitor them, they watch them, they can, you know, check them out. Well, now you can't do that. I mean, that's the thing. The cops have to, uh, the cops are the ones that are on trial. The cops are the ones that, you know, that end up facing the charges. It's just, uh, and yet you have people like Kathy Hochul, the governor, and I'm so disappointed in her. I worked uh, with her. I was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. She was in Congress for a year and a half, but she was put on the Homeland Security Committee. Uh, she was basically a much more moderate Democrat then. When she'd been county clerk, she wouldn't even give a driver's license to illegal immigrants. I mean, she took these tough stands. And so I really thought when she came in, okay, we're going to get, you know, it's a Democrat, but she's going to be common sense, middle-of-the-road Democrat. She's further to the left than Andrew Cuomo ever thought of being. Well, and by the way, the other headline I was going to bring up to you in the New York Post is a former Congressman Peter King, Rick Rips Hochul on bail reform, says she's in surrender mode. Do you believe it's she's just sort of given up? Yeah, she's given in to the left wing of her party. I mean, she was in a position when she came in, uh, Andrew Cuomo was out. She was coming in. She could basically, I thought, have called the shots what she wanted to do if she had the, you know, the nerve to do it. But instead, she was, just, I think, overwhelmed by the left wing of her party, uh, by Hasty, by Stuart Cousins, by the progressives. Uh, they just got hold of her, and she just gave in whatever they wanted and more. And she doesn't have the nerve to stand up to them. She's the governor of New York. Whether you liked him or not, Mario Cuomo was a tough governor. Nelson Rockefeller was a tough governor. Certainly George Pataki was a very effective governor. We can go down the list of governors. Hugh Carey was a tough governor. They have, it's the only state official, the only official in the whole state that is a bully pulpit for the entire state. More than the senators, more than any mayor. The governor of New York has a national forum. And she should be using that and going to the legislature and saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to campaign against every one of you. Single them out, name and shame. That's what that's what she has the power to do. Instead, she goes, "Well, I tried. I, I I asked for this, but the legislature wouldn't give it to me." And so, you know, life goes on. Well, no, it's it, it, we're talking about life and death here. We're talking about people uh, being shot, being stabbed, being raped, being mugged, being stabbed, uh, thrown on the subway tracks by Asians, being attacked. Uh, we go down the whole list. I mean, it's just such a uh, a disgrace. And to think that a few years ago. Really, just a few years ago, you go back five years, we were still, you know, the safest city and state. I mean, things were really uh, now uh, I'm almost mad at myself for not fully taken advantage of. We just sort of, uh, you know, took it for granted. Yeah, we did. Uh, it, it gotten so bad and then it got so good. We just assumed it can never go back to the bad days again. Wow. It's really unfortunately it's racing back to the bad days. Well, that's why leadership is key. And again, as you brought up with Kathy Hochul, all I keep thinking about with her was when she was asked about Alvin Bragg, she was like, well, you know, I'm going to cut him some slack, you know. Yeah. And my, my thought is, how much slack 
My goodness. You know, I mean, that it, New York can't take any more slack. Real quick, Congressman. No, it really can't. And uh, it's easy for her to say that. She is the state troopers protecting her. Fact is, if it's the average man or woman on the street in New York, you know, they, they can't afford to give the bad guys slack because the, the criminals are going to stab them and shoot them, rape them, mug them, whatever. So, no, this, Alvin Bragg has to go. The signal has to go out. And we need a governor who's tough. That's why I'm so strongly supporting Lee Zeldin. We need him in there. We need him to set the tone for the state and for the country. Yeah, Lee is a great guy, and we need law and order. Um, former Congressman yes. Peter King, we love having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rita. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. We're going to take your calls, everybody, when we come back. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. repeat offenders and some of the verbiage and just brazenness of these criminals is incredible. We were just talking about it with former Congressman Peter King. And he said, obviously, so much of this is this revolving door in the justice system and the lack of leadership that he's seeing in New York State and across the country. It is time to get tough because crime is rampant. You look at just the amount of attacks on the subway in New York. What about the fact that Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor in New York, there's a shootout right in front of his house with them bleeding under the porch while his teenage daughters are inside? I mean, this is the Wild West. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gary, line two. Gary, your thoughts about this. Good evening, Rita. The incident in front of Lee Zeldin's home, had that taken place in front of Kathy Hochul's house, would there be a different reaction? I oh, yeah. I would like to hear about that. You know, Gary, actually, and I will I want to hear your thoughts, but my personal thoughts, Gary, 1,000%. Can you imagine if it happened in front of her house, it, there would be outrage, you know, from her, and maybe somehow she'd have an epiphany about it's time to get tough on criminals. Uh, but it shouldn't take something like that. We don't want it, of course, to happen outside her house. We don't want it to happen in front of anybody's house. But you're right. For some reason, a lot of these people who talk about how, you know, oh, we need to have sympathy on the criminal, they don't understand the effect on human beings. Your thoughts real quick. Well, the same thing. Unless unless it's on the other side, everything is just so whitewashed. Once again, going back to the point, would there have been a strong reaction and could something have come of that if it was in western New York in front of our home? Yeah, I think so. I think I think she would have because it would have been so jarring. I mean, can you imagine in front of your home, you've got two teenage daughters who are by themselves and they're inside doing homework. They're hearing the shots. That's how they learned about the incident. So I think had it happened in front of Kathy Hochul's house, she would have been freaking out. And guess what? Even Tiffany Caban, if it happened in front of her house, the first person they'd call, 911, because the police are the best. And even these politicians, like a Tiffany Caban, who talks about defund the police, they call the police when they need help. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which we love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we honor our great law enforcement and also their families. A powerful story coming from New Haven, Connecticut, where Sergeant Chris Halstead makes his life mission to help people. Well, according to Yale University, where he works with the school's police department, and recently Halstead again gave part of himself to help someone literally doing that. According to the National Chaplains Association, Halstead donated his kidney to a total stranger who was found to be a perfect match. He said, I have always been into helping people and I always liked caring about people, knowing that I could live a full life with just one kidney and that I have two. That's what drove me to donate. Halstead said that he did his research and he learned that although he would undergo major surgery, the recovery would be easier than for many people. He said the impact on me and my family would not be very significant, whereas the gift that I could give somebody would impact their life and their family forever. And that's why I wanted to do it. What a beautiful story. Bravo to Sergeant Chris Halstead in New Haven, Connecticut, donating a kidney to a total stranger, just knowing that it was a perfect match and knowing that he could make such an unbelievable difference. What a beautiful story. And it just shows the heart and soul of our great law enforcement every single day. Well, we are talking about escalating crime and I think the case with Congressman Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor, just epitomizes how Wild West parts of America have become. Almost every corner of New York, almost every corner of so many major cities and states across this country are just wrapped and covered with an enormous amount of random crime. And I think that is what is so scary. We just heard also recently Uh, Democratic Governor Patterson, David Patterson of New York, who said that he's never felt like the city was so, quote, unsafe. And I think that that's a powerful statement because there's this sense of when you're walking down the street, you have to look over your shoulder. When you're going into a store, you're going to see somebody rob, you know, the store or do something to you. There is just this feeling of uncertainty. And I think that that is what's really frightening So many people, not just in New York, but in almost every major city across this country, there is a brazenness. There's a randomness. There are these moments of just unprovoked, vicious, brutal crimes. And it all comes down to making sure that those who commit these crimes know that they will be prosecuted, that they will be punished. And if you don't send a message that you're going to get tough, and that you will indeed make sure that they spend time behind bars, particularly if it's a serious crime or if they're a repeat offender, which almost every single one seems to be, then guess what? They're just going to keep doing it over and over again. And that's why it is so key that we have the strongest leadership at the top, whether it's at the administration in the White House or whether it's in the State House. because guess what? If it hasn't come to your city yet, sadly, it's creeping and crawling and it's coming to a city near you. You see it in every single state 
in the major cities, crime is skyrocketing, and particularly these violent crimes. Murders are up at an exponential point. And it's interesting. Some of the new numbers that came out from the FBI had numbers in terms of murders, and they didn't even include the LAPD numbers. They didn't include the NYPD, and they didn't include Chicago PD. And yet the numbers were still up without those three major police departments across the country. I mean, it couldn't get any worse. They didn't even include them, and the numbers were still staggering. And that's why this November, you got to get out and vote. You have to vote for candidates that care about law and order, because guess what? If you don't feel safe, it doesn't matter about whatever other issue you're talking about. If you don't feel safe going to your kid's school, you don't feel safe going to the store, you don't feel safe, you know, taking transportation, getting to work. I mean, this is like a total breakdown. And it's really scary to me because a number of law enforcement folks that I have talked to have said this election is pivotal. They feel like if this election doesn't turn around and that law and order doesn't take center stage, they're afraid that it might be so far gone after another year or two or three. If it continues in the same pattern, it is the same revolving door. And that's why you got to get out and vote for those who care about your safety. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. Case in point, this horrible case that happened at the subway station in Queens. Remember, this is the airport worker. She gets off the train and this guy out of nowhere who was kind of trying to bother her on the train and she ignored him. She gets off the train. He suddenly starts beating the pulp out of her. And you see it on videotape. Everyone has seen that videotape. It is so stunning and it is so absolutely heartbreaking and horrific. She may lose her sight from this like pounding and this beating. And here she is describing what happened to her. This is 33 years old, Elizabeth Gomes, a mother of two. Take a listen. Well, you know, I've been in the airport for about 10 years. I've been working there. And this guy just came from off of the train station. I was waiting for the train like I do every morning. And he was just walking back and forth. And he came in the train as me. And before I knew it, you know, this guy hit me from behind with a bottle. Out of the blue, some guy comes and hits her with a bottle. And then the next thing you know, he starts punching her and kicking her. It is absolutely horrible. It's one of the most savage beatings that I think I've ever seen. And it's just, when you see it, you're, you're just, your heart is pounding. And so she said she is just frightened and horrified at what she experienced and frightened to ever go back on the subway again. Can you blame her? Take a listen. I can't see anything on my right side, honestly, and it just hurts. Do you know how scared I am now? I was never a person to be scared. Wow. Just to hear that, it is a gut punch to hear her talking about that. She is absolutely frightened. This is a woman who is going to work every day. It's five in the morning. She's going to work at the airport wasn't afraid and now is like to tears and is worried. Again, she may not be able to see out of that eye because of some thug who just started beating her over and over again. And so this ex-con, would you think that he'd have any sort of sense of remorse or sorry or anything? No, no, no. He's not apologizing for anything. This to me is absolutely disgusting. He's accused, of course, of savagely beating her and he's unrepentant. 
after the beatdown, blaming his victim for the unprovoked attack in an interview that he did, thank goodness, at Rikers Island, or I hope he rots, um, during an interview with Daily News of New York. He said, quote, I wasn't trying to kill her. Um, he said, I just wanted to give her a real good blank whooping. If I stomped her in the face, she'd be dead. This is my fist. I don't give a blank. So what? I mean, isn't that unbelievable? I don't care. Too bad. I mean, what a disgusting human being. Oh, and then he says, she did something. I can't say what. I'm not a good guy. I never will be. At least there's an honest confession. I agree with him on that part. He's not a good guy and he never will be. So what are you going to do with somebody like this that is clearly a monster who clearly has no respect for human life? What are you going to do? You're going to, like, give him a slap on the wrist and put him back out on the street to do the same thing to somebody else the next day? Because he clearly is saying he's just going to do it. He's telegraphing it. He's telling you what he's going to do. And yet he got out. He was an ex-con already to begin with. And if you look at his track record, he had a long one. And so he says, well, she, you know, she ignored me on the train. She ignored him on the train. And that's why. He decided to suddenly beat her down to a pulp. I mean, this is like, what kind of, are we in like, like Mad Max or something like this? I mean, this is like an unbelievable time where a guy actually says that. If somebody said it to me, I would, I would sit across from him and say, you have no shame. You have zero sense of what you did was so destructive to this woman and to her family for their entire lives. Yeah, do you understand? Is there so do you want to finally apologize? Do you have any any sort of sense of decency? Is there one ounce of decency in your body? And yet this guy is obviously clearly a monster. He currently, by the way, has four open cases in Manhattan and Queens on a variety of charges. What a surprise. And his rap sheet includes an arrest last month that was his eighth in the last 21 years. Uh, despite a lengthy amount of time, he did have some behind bars. And he did serve some time for a triple stabbing. And yet he got out, no big deal, and he says he's going to do it again. So is the system going to stand up for victims, innocent victims like Elizabeth Gomes? Or are you going to let a thug and a monster out on the street like this guy who's already said, I'm not a good guy, I never will be. And basically, you know, too bad. What I did, I wasn't trying to kill her. I just wanted to give her a good uh, blank whooping, you know? I mean, what a disgusting human being. What do we do with somebody like that? Well, Lee Zeldin, as we talked about, had crime come to his front door over the weekend on Sunday when his 16-year-old daughters were home. A big shooting right outside of his home. And Lee Zeldin, who has fought on Law & Order, says this has just reinforced his fight that crime needs to come under control. Take a listen. We have to take back our streets. This is something that motivated me to get into this race in the first place. Yeah. And now I have to walk through crime scene tape in order to show up at my own front doorstep yesterday. This is getting worse every single day. And the people in charge are not only not doing squat about it, they don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, they don't want right. to confront this head on. As a matter of fact, they feel like they haven't gone far enough in passing pro-criminal laws. Yeah, unbelievable. And there are still people who are sitting there, oh, yeah, we still need to have sympathy for the criminal. Uh, Like, what kind of drugs are you on? 
And so here is Lee Zeldin saying that his opponent, Kathy Hochul, the current governor of New York, is sympathetic to criminals. And he says that needs to change on day one. Kathy Hochul becomes governor. Her first big decision is to pick a lieutenant governor. She picks Brian Benjamin, who was, you know, on top of the scandals that led to his arrest and resignation, he was the champion of the defund the police movement. Now you have this new story of this person who's getting elevated, promoted inside of Kathy Hochul's inner circle, uh, this council. And he's a champion of the defund the police movement. So I believe that Cashel's bail should be repealed, that judges should have discretion away dangerousness. Kathy Hochul, as you pointed out, is saying essentially you have to elect her to find out where maybe she will stand on the issue in January. And she also says there's no data to support it. Well, when you talk about data and statistics, there are three kids who are not going to be growing up with a mother in the Buffalo area because they watched her get murdered last Wednesday because of cashless bail, because judges don't have discretion away dangerousness. Yeah. And you know what? That's why you need to say you need to have the discretion. This needs to change. There needs to be leadership as opposed to this old pass the buck. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to BJ. Line two, BJ, your thoughts. Well, um, you know, uh, if they could do this to Lee Zeldin, this is the second horrible thing that happened to him on the uh, uh, campaign trail. Okay, if they can do this to Lee Zeldin, and he's a congressman, what chance do you and I have, Rita, of staying safe in this state? We have a governor who can fire these woke DAs and these woke uh, and they get she can get rid of the Alvin Bragg tomorrow. She can pink slip him tomorrow. She won't. Okay. Instead, she turns around and says, well, we have to get the guns off the street. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, we have to get the crime off the street. You know, we have a situation now where law enforcement are now social workers. We turn them into social workers. We don't need social workers. We need police that will be supported, will be protected, that will be proactive, and that will be able to do this job and and, and provide a presence so that people like who you described uh, will recede. They will be the exception rather than the rule. Right now, they've become the rule. They've become the norm. And this goes back, in my opinion, to Bobby Kennedy and this whole effort to uh, lower the uh, uh, lower the age and and uh, to uh, uh, don't check the box and uh, let's do away with cash bail and all this business. This is what it looks like. So um, if you don't vote for Lee Zeldin, you're either stupid or, in my opinion, you're in on it. Wow. Wow. That, that's pretty uh, clear cut, BJ. You know, the thing is, BJ, what's amazing, and I brought this up with Congressman Peter King, who, as you know, was just here on the show. I said, you know, what do you make of the fact that Kathy Hochul says, oh, you know, I got to cut Alvin Bragg some slack. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, that yeah. was many, 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 many months ago. And, you know, first off, I thought it was an outrageous comment because it was already ridiculous even at that point. But wouldn't you think like a week or two later after all the crimes that happened after that comment and now it's many months later, what more does it take? I mean, that's what's so shocking is like, why are they so afraid of doing the right thing for New Yorkers, for citizens? And and that goes in other cities across the country, too, BJ. Because because they want to fundamentally change America. They do not like the America that you and I have uh, come to know and love and were raised on they want they think america is a very uh 
patriarchal uh, place that is unfair. Uh, they believe in equity of outcome, not equity of opp opportunity. They do not believe in the Constitution. Uh, they do not believe in law and order. They believe communities should police themselves by peers. Uh, you know, and it goes – they're Marxists. In, in essence, that's, that's exactly what they are. They have a – they want to do away with the border. And you see this at the state level. You see this at uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the national level. For years, they, we had uh, issues with uh, illegal aliens committing crimes, driving without licenses and stuff. NYPD would get involved and they'd say, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. You know, they'd say, well, we, we, let's contact ICE. This guy's an illegal alien. Nope, 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 nope. Don't do that. Don't do that. So this is where we're at now. This is where we're at now. We're, we're in total chaos, and it's, it's, it's up to you, folks. Whatever you want to do, whatever world you want to live in, folks, this is, this is your opportunity to, to let the world know. Do you want to live in a place where law and order is respected, where you can pursue your, your dreams and hopes? Or do you want to live in some dystopian, uh, 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 some dystopian uh, dictatorship? Where uh, people, cops can people can come over, rip you off, disrespect you all day long, be, and only the rich will stay protected. Only the rich will be will be safe. Only the rich will be allowed to to live. That is, if they be quiet and they don't complain about anything. Well, you know what's interesting, BJ, and and I've talked to a number of people in law enforcement, and I've asked this question. They're like, you know, you got to get out and vote, of course, in November. And I'm like, well, what happens if things don't change? They're like, well. We may be on the path of no return. Isn't that scary? And I, I don't think I've ever really heard that from law enforcement. And that's a frightening, ominous point that they feel that we are so far gone that it is changeable, that the right course can be righted and it can be corrected. But it's got to be corrected soon or else. And boy, is there, is there a bottom to this? My goodness. Um, BJ, thanks so much. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. one 800 848 who and what do you blame for the skyrocketing random crime and the brazenness of criminals who are like, yeah, I did it. So what? <laughs> so what? 1-800-848-9222. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. As you all know, I always love reading your tweets. And Sal has a classic one tonight. By the way, you got to send them in to at Rita Cosby. I always take your calls, which we love. By the way, you know, on Fridays, we do our Rita's Ringers. So keep those great calls coming. We love playing the highlights, of course, on Friday night. So continue those calls. But here's Sal saying, <coughs> if I were to follow Democrat New York City Councilwoman Tiffany Caban's advice, to stop thugs by asking them what school they went to. What could they say? He says, I went to Attica State and measured an assault and battery with a minor in recidivism. <laughs> That's a good one, Sal. You've got some good ones. Keep them coming, guys. Let's go to Phil on line six. Phil. Phil, are you there? Phil, call us back. We're losing you. Give us a call back. Let's go to Pete on line five. Hi, Rita. Hey, uh, first of all, you know, with Lee Zellman, everybody should wake up and see. He just experienced it firsthand. And 
I know we was going to be for getting these criminals off the street, but now more than ever, we need him. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, this is, this is getting impossible. I mean, I have one eye missing my right eye. I can't see out of that one. So I walk around when I'm going to an event or something. I have my man, Drew, who drives me. He's my driver. And also he's my bodyguard part-time. And I handle myself quite well, but I have to watch if I get hit in the left eye, I'm finished. I'm blind, you know? So the thing is, everybody out there, be cautious. Look around, know your surroundings, and don't be on the cell phone because that's what they target. They see you on the phone, you're not concentrating, you know, and uh, it's an honor. Uh, Jacqueline and uh, Norman, they're working very hard on Leak Zellman's campaign, and uh, we got to get law and order back. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, that's all I could say right now. 1,000%. Pete, thank you very much. Let's go to Max, line one. Max, your thoughts. Yes, Rita, thank you for taking my call. Um, I think that every day that we call into your show, I think it, there should be a couple of people who call in and they say they should say fornicate Alvin Bragg. Fornicate Alvin Bragg. <laughs> uh, that's that's a good PG way to describe it, but go ahead. So we can get a, enough, you know, a momentum going there so the word gets word gets out. Second thing, um, the guy who, atta- who attacked um, Zeldin, his name, I forget the first name, but the last name was Jacobinus. I'm guessing that this is a code name because during the ref- – that first of all, it's a very odd name. Second of all, it has a Latin ending. And third – And you're talking about the guy, Max, I think the one who – it turned out he was drunk and he said that he was kind of high. That was the one who went on the stage. This is, of course, different because this is a shooting with it looks like potentially two gang members – in front of his house with his daughter's home. So he's had two incidents. Boy, is he ready to fight crime. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Businesses and families are very concerned with escalating crime. Rite Aid, very worried about the cost that shoplifting is having, costing millions upon millions of dollars. They basically have had to build it into their costs, basically knowing that every store is pretty much going to get robbed. And that seems to be a common thread with so many stores like that across the country. Case in point, a New York City shoplifter with 153 arrests booked again after robbing three Rite Aids. My goodness. He had 150 arrests before that. And then he decided, oh, what the heck? Let me make it 153. He stole beer from three separate Rite Aids in Queens, New York. I mean, it's just incredible. It's over and over and over again. He was first arrested. This guy is a teen. Uh, The early busts are sealed, so we don't know all the details. But we know that his rap sheet uh, that is public includes at least 153. So there may even be a whole bunch more when he was a juvenile. And clearly, it didn't stop him. And it's over and over. And it also includes burglary, larceny, 
forcible touching for touching a woman's private part. So it wasn't just robbing from a store. It was clearly lascivious behavior that wasn't stopped. And it's that sort of broken windows theory that's happening over and over again. Also, heartbreaking words coming from family members. I mean, we heard the family last week of the EMT worker, Lieutenant Russo, where the father basically said, you know, oh, she was just left like a rag doll after he saw the videotape of her being stabbed in broad daylight, walking down the street again in Queens. And now a grieving mother of a Bronx, New York man coming out and really slamming City Hall, basically saying she cannot believe the senseless death of her son, a 38-year-old City Field employee who was stabbed multiple times. And she just said, this is shocking. He was stabbed to death at a subway station. And she says, quote, the city should be sued. She said that Mayor Eric Adams needs to get his ass whipped. And she said, they failed us. You ain't going to come tell me about my baby. Apparently, nobody even told her that her son had been killed. She found it out from a neighbor who was talking to the media. Can you imagine finding out about your child from the neighbor who was like already talking to the media about crime and saying, oh, what a nice guy he was. And she's like, what is he talking about? Oh, my son was killed. They didn't even have the decency to let her know. This is unbelievable. So do you think that there are politicians that really need to be called into maybe it's legal action lawsuits? She's saying the city should be sued. It's very hard to sue a public official, but still, Should there be some sort of action? Don't individual citizens have some sort of recourse? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. If you are letting out people over and over again, especially those with violent rap sheets, like the one who killed her precious son, and including this guy who was robbing over and over again, I would think after 150 times, you'd get the message that the guy is basically a menace to society. And especially those that have committed violent crimes, which a lot of them have, that's where it gets really, really dangerous. And that's where we need to finally say justice needs to be served. We need to start thinking about the victims. I mean, this is just outrageous. Take a listen. Here is former NYPD Lieutenant Joe Cardinale talking about how bad things are in American streets. The streets are filled with criminals that should be in jail. And cops are so, they're stretched so thin Mm -hmm. that some of the investigations are, you know, on the back burner and other ones, they triage all their cases right now, especially here in New York City. So this shouldn't be a surprise to New Yorkers at all. But when it happens to a, can, a, you know, a congressman like that, you know, people are going to start to say, wow, the congressman isn't safe. What about us? And he's talking about the case of Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who had, it looks like, two suspected guying leaders, by most people's account, opening fire, basically, outside his front door. And bullets came within 30 feet of his twin daughters who were inside doing homework. I mean, this is just sheer insanity. And here is Judge Jeanine Pirro just talking about how everybody, sadly, is vulnerable in big cities across this country. So we've got crimes in front of your home, on the interstate, 
uh, in Chicago, uh, in the uh, uh, on the subway. And then we got an ex-governor saying, I've never felt less safe in my life. That's David Patterson. And you know what? Patterson lived through the 80s and the 90s. This is random unprovoked assaults. I seem to remember that in the 80s and the 90s, it was like the people were fighting. It was about money. It was about drugs. Now you've got all these young kids with guns. They don't take firing lessons. They don't go to the range to fire their guns. So everybody is a sitting duck. Everybody is a sitting duck. And if you can't be an EMT worker walking down the street in the middle of the day getting lunch, at two in the afternoon without being worried that someone's going to stab you to death from behind. I mean, boy, are we living in a very scary, dangerous place. Here is Greg Gutfeld on Fox talking about how everybody, all sides of the aisle, need to focus on crime and cleaning up our streets. When it comes to crime, it's like the tree falling in the woods. If it's a Republican, you don't hear it. Right. Could you it still doesn't matter because it happened to him. He's a Republican. He's not a Democrat. You did bring up, you know, his affiliation or whatever to uh, Trump that and, and you jokingly said that's political. But you are right. We've been talking about how do we get beyond this political chasm that keeps interfering with us? Because like a crime isn't a political thing. It's it's a it's a human thing. So it's like you have to be able to say, OK, there's no question Lee Zeldin is a better candidate than Kathy Hochul. And even though I hate Donald Trump right. and that he did a fundraiser with right. him, maybe I should put that aside because I don't want my kids to be mugged. I don't want my parents to be shot. Yeah, boy, our crime just getting out of hand. Who is going to keep you safe? And some of the new polls are showing it ranks right up there with inflation. What a surprise. Climate change is like uh, number 3006 on the list. It's not in the top 10 and it's definitely not in the top five. That's for sure. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michael. Line two. Michael, your thoughts about what happened to Lee Zeldin. Uh, Rita, I think Lee Zeldin was the target of a political hit. By a gang. Why do you wait, wait, wait? No, but there's no evidence of that. There was. By the I way, know there's no evidence, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some gang members did think we got to get this guy out. He's going to have us in jail. Oh, that's an interesting point, Mike, that maybe they know that he's going to be tough on crime. Although I don't think they're that smart to figure that out. Um, I think it was more, sadly, just Wild West, and his home happened to be there where the shooting happened. Um, if anything, by the way, it's emboldened him because it's reminded him of how dangerous things are on the street, that it's come so close to home. Uh, so if there w- if there was any intention, and so far, again, there's no evidence of that, but if there was, it's backfired. Let's go to Patrick in Nebraska. Patrick, you're here on the Rita Cosby Show. Go ahead, Patrick. Hi, Mrs. Cosby. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I know that in a, in a lot of the major cities around the United States, you know, there's high crime, and a lot of the low mod, low modest people who have moderate incomes or or even less, that they do have the right to keep and bear arms, per the Supreme Court of the United States, and for those who are interested in self defense. There are Rock Island Arms, 
38 pistols manufactured in the uh, Philippines that cost like about $100. What are you telling? Still, what, but let me just get figure out where you're going. Are you trying to say that people need I, to protect I, I themselves? They should, people should keep and bear arms if they can afford it. I, I know 100 bucks to a lot of people is a real struggle. But, um, you know, pinch your pennies, get a 38 well, and and also, revolver. Patrick, you got to also be responsible. You don't want to have it like uh, looking like it's like downtown Baghdad either. You know, that's not going to be a good thing either. You got to make sure that you are trained, that you're using it appropriately, obviously, legally. Um, and certainly right now, the problem, though, as we're seeing is so many of these people who are not getting it legally um, that are getting weapons or, you know, in this case, they're just kind of roaming the streets like this crazy guy. I mean, this guy in the subway station that was beating Elizabeth Gomes, he hit her on the head with a bottle. And in the EMT case, uh, the guy came running after her. It looked like a zombie is what the way people described him in the neighborhood. And he started stabbing her. I mean, so that, you know, it, it doesn't resolve the mental illness problem. Um, and, you know, the other thing, Patrick, too, my goodness, the message from some of these politicians in New York is like, why don't you go over and talk to them? Go get to know them. Uh, ask them if they went to high school with you. The last thing you want to do is have any uh, conversation. I'm not saying you're suggesting that, but that's the suggestion of a lot of these progressives. And boy, is that a scary premise. Patrick, though, thank you. Always interesting to hear from folks. Let's go to Jr. in West Virginia. Jr. your thoughts. Rita, God bless you in, in the name of Jesus, because we appreciate hearing what you're doing through in New York that you can be able to tell us. But uh, really, up there, y'all, y'all got a serious, real serious, serious problem, and uh, we feel sorry for you here, the people that I talk to, how bad crime is. But the problem here, we have 1,840,000 people in the whole state of West Virginia, and y'all got about 8 million in the whole city of New York alone. And what y'all need to do is see like they did in the 1880s. They formed a vigilante committee, and they cleaned up the streets. And by the time they got done, there were 300 of them, and it started out with one man. And you can check that out in the history books. And they, the women and the children could walk the streets again. But here in West Virginia, almost everybody carries a gun, so we don't have too much of a problem. Now, let me ask you, Jr. what is the sense there in Virginia in terms of those who have committed a crime? When there is a crime, do you feel that at least there's punishment? Because part of the problem that's happening here in New York, and you heard me talk about it tonight, I, I mean, right. this is no exaggeration. This shoplifter, 153 arrests. And yeah, that's just what we know you. of as an adult. He may have done in, some in a juvie because those are, you know, sealed records. So he probably has a lot more, I'm sure. But, it, I mean, is there a revolving door? How does justice work in West Virginia in terms of somebody, if they get arrested, are they back out on the streets ready to commit crime within hours, as it sadly seems like in it, New York? It might be according to how bad their crime was. We do have a few drug shootings once in a while. But five weeks ago, we had a police officer dog got shot and killed, and the police officers had to sh- uh, kill the guy because he had stabbed someone, and they was trying to uh, find him to uh, question him. And he uh, he they chased him in the woods, and 
he opened on up on them and killed the service dogs, so they killed him. But we have we it, we we got we got pretty good justice here. Uh, when you do something wrong, uh, you 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 you're in jail for a while probably if it's very serious crime at all. And if you haven't been in trouble before, then you can uh, you you get they're a little lenient on you. But when you got a problem like the mayor and Alvin Bragg, uh, y'all need to y'all need to get everyone that's uh, interested in getting the justice in your city is get rid of them two guys real quick. I don't care if you have to surround their office every day. And uh, let them know you don't want them there. Well, by the way, Jr., you know, it's interesting. I'm surprised that there haven't been uh, protests and pickets and things like that, especially outside Alvin Bragg's office. My goodness. You know, I'm not for, like, bothering somebody at their home or any of that stuff. I hated when I saw with the Supreme Court justices when people were, you know, picketing there. But I'm all for peaceful protesting, and I am stunned that there haven't been more people or even family members who've lost loved ones because of the revolving door of justice standing outside saying, Okay, Alvin Bragg, no more slack, you know? I mean, there needs to be a public outcry because he has gotten a free pass. Um, and, you know, the fact that he actually went after the bodega guy, Jr. I mean, that that's like, that was that guy who was defending himself at the bodega. The guy comes in uh, with the girlfriend, remember? And then, you know, he's about to stab him and he... You know, stabs him back, kills the guy, and get, and then he gets charged. You know, I mean, it's like, boy. And suddenly, after all this pressure, finally Alvin Bragg, you know, concedes that, okay, well, you know, maybe we won't do those charges, you know. But my goodness, if it didn't get the attention, you think about how many other cases like that are out there. The fact that he even thought that is, it just says that this guy's, uh, you know, perception of justice is so uh, upside down. It is. It is like from another planet, Jr. And I agree, it's deteriorating New York, and we need to have better officials in office who care about safety. That is the key. Jr. thank you. Interesting conversation from beautiful West Virginia. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We are talking about crime. You heard what they do in West Virginia and Nebraska. What about in New York? Let's go to Mark, line eight. Mark, you're a Brooklyn guy. Go ahead. Yeah, Rita, first things first, uh, Eric, I, there's got to be some sort of recourse for the civilians in New York City because Bragg, Adams, and every other single one of these Democrat politicians with the view on crime is violating the oath of office that they take when it's sworn in to protect the citizens. And they sure as heck aren't doing it at all. And I really hope that Lee Zeldin is true to his word, fights this crime, and also I hope he gets rid of this ridiculous anti-Second Amendment to allow good people of the city of New York to carry legally. What I can't stand is these politicians, every time there's a shooting, they never say it was done with an illegal gun. It's always a gun, 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 gun. And all of them, they have no idea what they're talking about. 
An AR-15 is not an assault rifle. I wish, you know, they would get educated before they open up their mouths. Well, they just, you know, I keep saying, Mark, they keep talking about gun control. I contend thug control. Because if you don't go after the people pulling the gun, they don't talk about the person pulling the trigger. I mean, and to me, that is astounding that that that's like a huge element that they somehow leave out of the conversation. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, it's it's left out of every conversation because they know that if they say illegal gun, okay, it it blows their narrative. It 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 hurts them big time. And the other thing too is, if you listen to the uh, so-called intelligentsia of these people, especially with uh, Sheila Jackson, who said, "I've held an AR-15. It it weighs as much as ten boxes." Uh, lady, you have no idea. I'm I'm a former Marine. I have fired almost every type of weapon you could think of, okay? And I wish I could own an AR-15. An AR-15 you could pick up with one finger. And, again, it's not an assault rifle. There are not assault rifles. Assault weapons are not sold anywhere in the United States. If you want to own one, you have to go and apply for a special federal permit. Certain states, I know for a fact, because a good friend of mine lives in Texas, an assault weapon is a weapon that fires fully automatic. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And you're right. No, you're right, Mark, that people need to understand when they're saying it, what it means and what the essence of it all is. And I think they are so caught up in trying to remove guns, guns, guns without any reprimand for the criminals, uh, they're really not solving the problem. You know, it, it, they're not talking about the good guys with a gun and the responsible gun owners. When we come back, Nelson DeMille, mega best-selling author, talking about the unsolved Gilgo Beach killings. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, which we love doing every night, honoring our great military and, of course, their families as well. A powerful story coming from Michigan, where veteran Jim Provost, who served in the U.S. Marine Corps from 1965 until 1969, is being recognized for his outstanding service at the 2022 Marquette County Veteran of the Year program at the American Legion Post. The Marquette County Department of Veterans Affairs Office offers a broad range of services and benefits to veterans. And Jim Provost now serves as the chairman of the Marquette County Department of Veteran Affairs Office. Whether that means helping veterans more, getting them in contact with mental services, Provost is said to be always the first to answer the call. 
Provost said that winning this award means so much to him and to his family. He said it's humbling when your peers think that you've done enough work to be awarded this honor. It is really, really special. And bravo to him, not just for his service in the Marine Corps, but everything he has done post-service, now helping veterans in dire need. Bravo to him, of course, and all of our great veterans across this country. Well, we've been talking about crime, and there has been a lot of news coverage about the Gilgo Beach killings in Long Island, New York, where they believe that an unidentified suspected serial killer is believed to have killed about a dozen women. And it's a case that still gets a lot of news attention like this. It's been more than a decade since police found 10 sets of human remains along the Long Island waterfront. And today, in a renewed effort to track down the killer in the Gilgo Beach murders, Suffolk County police released some new never-before-seen surveillance video of one of the victims right before she was killed. And joining us now to talk about his latest blockbuster, sure to be another big bestseller. He's only had 21 of them, is mega best-selling author, my friend Nelson DeMille. He has a brand new book that is coming out later this month. You can get it now. It is called The Maze, and it's inspired and based on the actual and still unsolved Long Island murders. Uh, done by, it looks like apparently, a serial killer. Nelson, it is really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being on the Rita Cosby Show. Oh, Rita, Rita, it's good to be with you. Thank you. You know, what drew you to this topic? I know you're a Long Islander, but what was the reason you were just really interested? There are so many twists and turns in this, almost like a Law & Order episode, but what really inspired you to get involved in this case? Yeah, you know, this is a 11-year-old case now. These are the Gilgo Beach murders. Uh, Gilgo Beach is on Fire Island, and it's uh, near the Hamptons. And um, just briefly, there were 10 uh, prostitutes or sex workers, if you like, who were found at different times over some months, uh, murdered and dumped in the bramble bushes on Gilgo Beach. And um, it looked like, as you said, a, a serial killer. I think people are fascinated by the fact that it was maybe so close to the Hamptons and on Fire Island. It looked like maybe an open and shut case. I mean, how can you kill 10 people and get away with it? Uh, But there was not a lot of forensic evidence. And the police out in Suffolk County, where this took place, have been stymied. But I've been hearing this for about 10 years now, about 11 years. And there's been a couple of documentaries made on it. So it's become national news in a way. And a lot of people said, well, you know, they're just sex workers. Who cares? But that's not the way the police look at it. They want to find, you know, you know no matter what these people did with their lives, they were they were murdered and justice has to be done. But, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I've been reading about it for 10 years. And as a novelist, one day I said, you know, maybe there's a way to fictionalize this and uh, look at it a different way. And uh, so that's what I decided to do. And uh, we have The Maze, which actually comes out uh, tomorrow. Congratulations, by the way. We are so thrilled. And I know you're going to have, you've had so many big blockbusters. You've had, uh, what is it, six number ones, uh, 21 New York Times bestsellers altogether. And this is another 
page turner. Uh, you know, I want to ask you, Nelson, do you believe having done the research, because I know you, I've seen the way you you really dig into these stories and really get engaged in the stories. Do you believe it is the work of one person? What do you think is behind this? You know, I thought I would come to some kind of conclusion. Um, you know, I read a lot about it. It's been in other papers. Also, I have some really good contacts uh, with the Suffolk County Police and I have some contacts with the FBI through my books that have to do with terrorism, and the FBI was involved with this. And, um, you know, every year they say we have a suspect or we have a person of interest, and, but nothing comes of it. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not, not maybe nothing, I'm not sure I call this, but I thought, you know, uh, there's got to be something there. Uh, but apparently every time they, they look into this, they, they reach a dead end. And unfortunately, I didn't come to many conclusions either. There was one person who was a, you know, possible serial killer. But then they thought, look, it could be the mafia, too. And, they, you know, they, they, they run prostitution rings. Maybe they're dumping bodies out there. Um, but, you know, I had to had kind of synthesize and, uh, and you know, fictionalize the Gilgo Beach murders. And at the end... At the end, my character, John Corey, gets his man, of course, but in, in real life, uh, that has not happened yet after 11 years. And everybody, we are talking to mega best-selling author Nelson DeMille. You know, you brought up uh, Detective John Corey. This is your eighth, right, John Corey book, uh, former NYPD detective. How did he come about, Nelson? Because your fans love, they're always like wondering another twist and turn. Here he kind of gets pulled out of retirement but tell us how you came about with the original uh, time to bring him in. Yeah, you know, it's been almost 25 years, and uh, the original book was um, called Plum Island. Hey, I think I've heard of that one. That was a big right. hit too, Nelson, by the way. <laughs> that, was, that was the start of John Corey's career, and uh, that was on the New York Times list for 16 weeks. And, but it was meant to be a standalone, because I had only done standalones before that. I had never done a series. Never really wanted to, but the fan reaction to the John Corey character was just enormous. You know, through emails and also the reviews were great. And then I looked at my royalty statement. I said, "This guy is. I think I've hit on something here." And so, <laughs> sort of every author's dream is to come up with a, a Sherlock Holmes type of a character. And uh, but I, you know, I had to bring him back, and I did, and I put him into the uh, anti-terrorist task force where he works with the FBI and the clash of cultures there. And we go through the different, now the last time we saw him uh, in a book called Radiant Angel, he was with a diplomatic surveillance group, also a federal agency, working you know, part of the FBI. And then, you know, fans wanted another one. So I brought him out of retirement again. And uh, now he's a young retiree. He's an old guy he's in the early 40s. And uh, his old lover, Beth Penrose, uh, comes to visit him. He's out on the North Fork of Long Island and says, I have a proposition for you, but it's not that kind of proposition. And she uh, <laughs> she gets him involved with the Gilgo Beach murders, which in my book I call the Fire Island murders. So, you know, John is back, and we know that John's going to get his man at the end. He always does. Well, listen, and, and I hope that they do solve this one, and I know you do, too. You know, you've, you've written so many books, Nelson. Are they like children, like that you love them differently but equally, or are there some that are your favorites? 
they were definitely favorites, but I wouldn't say that to my children. No, I mean, yeah, some, <laughs> of them, some of them I, I liked better than maybe reviewers liked. Um, and uh, this, the, the reviews of this book, the you know early reviews and trade magazines, uh, you know, made the comment that the John Corey character is politically incorrect. He, you know, I mean, well, I'm getting political reviews. I'm not getting literary reviews. And that's kind of frustrating in a way. But uh, uh, New York Times reviewer, I didn't see the reviews. Somebody told me, uh, he said she didn't like this character, John Corey, at all. But she wanted to finish the book. So that's a, <laughs> if you don't like the character, but you want to finish the book, obviously the author is doing something right. But it's just interesting that, you know, there's just, two, two Americas out there. You know, west of the Hudson, you know, you got people who uh, love this kind of hard-driving, politically incorrect character who gets the job done. And then there's, there's woke people uh, who don't like him. But, I mean, secretly, I think their guilty pleasure is they like to read about John Corey. They like to know there's somebody out there. And his partner, Beth Penrose, the hard-driving homicide detective with Suffolk County. And... Um, you know, with the defund the police and what's happened since the first John Corey, there's some, you know, anti-police sentiment. So you're going to get those kinds of reviews. But, okay, I take them the grain of salt. I mean, you know, and I, you know, I kind of laugh all the way to the bank sort of thing. Um, but, they're, you know, I, have, I know who my fans are. I know who I'm writing to, uh, writing for. So, uh, you know, if you like, if you like guys who uh, are a bit politically incorrect, to get the job done, then uh, the maze would be a good good read. Well, it's going to be a blockbuster read. Before I let you go, real quick, um, of course, everybody knows your great book, The General's Daughter, that was made, of course, into a big feature film, John Travolta, Madeline Stowe. Um, you know, I've had the honor of knowing you, Nelson, and you have had, like, a great, great military career as well. Um, you know, you were a combat-decorated U.S. Army veteran, how how has that shaped you and shaped your view of this country? Well, that's a good question. You know, I was it was a different time. Um, it was the '60s, and that's all you need to say about it. It was the '60s. I came back from Vietnam after spending a year in combat, and it was not a good homecoming. It was uh, I, I kind of got um, I got very uh, angry at the country, and I got very angry at uh, the politicians. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't draw any conclusions in terms of just a, a just war or just a, uh, you know, a, a colonial war, if you will. And I, I examined both those issues in uh, my book, uh, Upcountry, and also my book, Word of Honor, my only two Vietnam books. Uh, it's complex. Looking back on it with hindsight, you know, I think it was the right war at the right time. And, uh and I, I'm not, a, I'm, and I'm unapologetic about that. And uh, I think those men who fought there, and, and, and the men and women who were fought fighting the war on terrorism, are, are heroes. And uh, that's that's the way I would, um, that's the way I would write it if I was going to write it again. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, one thousand percent, I agree with you. Well, Nelson Demille, I think you have another big bestseller again. It comes out tomorrow, everybody. It is called The Maze. And it is extremely timely, of course, about the Gilgo Beach murders. 
and you definitely, whether uh, whether you're woke or you're not woke, you heard from uh, Nelson, you're going to be awake and you're going to want to read this book. <laughs> so it is an awesome one. And I know it's, uh, I've already read a part of it and it's a blockbuster, Nelson. So thank you so much and always love having you here on the show, Nelson. Thank you, Rita. And great to have him on. Boy, very timely and important topic, talking about crime, especially something as serious as that, that still remains unsolved after all this time. Let's go to your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. Alex in California. Alex, your thoughts about uh, crime and also uh, just how pervasive it is. Um, And it's really, you know, it's, you would think, a best-selling author. It's a story uh, but it's based on real life and sadly true. Hey, Alex, are you there? Alex, let's go to another one. Let's go to Ed, line three. Ed, your thoughts. Ed, we're losing you too. Let's see where John is in Westchester. John, line four. Let's see if we got John on line four. John, are you there? Hi, we don't. Hey, you got John, me. the third time's a charm. Sorry about that. Go ahead, John. <laughs> That's all right. First of all, let me correct you on one thing. You keep on calling them progressives. They're not progressives. They're regressives. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And that's the sad thing. The fact that they would actually, you know, that there are people now doubling down. I mean, that's crazy. You can have, you know, in this climate that you have these people who are still like a Cori Bush is still doubling down. I mean, that it blows my mind, John. It's like, what more do you need? Do you see the statistics? Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's and they're they're unabashed about it, too, which is really scary, John. Yes. And the fact that I like the idea that the families are are going after Eric Adams, but we have to we also have to understand that Eric Adams is one man. Eric Adams is is restricted in what he can do by the state legislature, the the city council and the governor, all who are run as as regressive Democrats endorsed by the New York Working Families Party to be soft on crime. Yeah, and over and over again, and wanting other people to be soft on crime, too. I mean, you know, I think about this case of this Tiffany Caban, uh, this woman, of course, who is, you know, in the area of Queens, the, of course, politician. In the middle of all this, it's like right after the woman is beaten, we were just playing, you know, her clips, uh, Mrs. Gomes, you know, she's beaten, and Tiffany Caban's out there saying, let's have more sympathy, basically, for folks with mental illness. I mean, it, it's like, it, it, isn't it, it? There's such a tone deafness to it. And there's such a belligerence to it, John. I mean, I think about Cori Bush, who has come out and essentially said, I deserve three or $400,000 worth of security. I deserve police. But you don't deserve police. Like she is unabashed about the fact that she will get tons of money, that she gets protection, but doesn't think anybody else can. And she thinks she's special because she believes that she is like the messenger and the messenger needs to be protected with police, you know, but nobody else really should have that luxury. I mean, to me, that is such a selfish, um, absurd comment and the fact that even in the case of like Tiffany Caban had some problems, who did she call? Her security team called police. I mean, of course, they're not going to call community organizers when all heck is breaking loose, John. And that's the absurdity of it all is like it, we really are at like a near breaking point, I think, in so many cities across the country and Los Angeles. You see what's happening in Seattle. You see what's happening 
and uh, Florida, Atlanta, Pennsylvania. I mean, it's all over the place. You know, every state, major city. This is not like a one-off, you know? Right. And you also mentioned before about um, where are the protests. The best way that we can protest is to come out and vote. The courts in New York have blocked the Democrats in this election from allowing undocumented immigrants from voting and also the gerrymandering that they were trying to do to control the elections. This is our shot to actually have fair elections and get some of these regressive Democrats out. But if people don't vote, then they really should not be complaining because they're the ones that are going to be helping these people to bring our our city down. Yeah, 1,000%. I agree. You you have no place to complain if you can't make it to the voting booth or do an absentee ballot, whatever it is, get out and vote and make sure that your voice is heard and your position is heard. Otherwise, you know, don't sit there and cry the next day going, oh, I can't believe this happened. You know, don't sit on your tuchus, you know, get out and vote. (laughs) John, thank you very much. 1-800-848-9222. And we're going to continue with your calls on what we should be focused on to turn our great cities around. The Rita Cosby Show. Well, we are less than a month. Till Election Day, isn't that wild? November 8th is coming up fast, and Law and Order is on the ticket. And take a listen to former NYPD Lieutenant Joe Cardinale saying that he wants to hear more from New York's governor, and he wonders why he's hearing crickets from her about skyrocketing crime. People need to know what's going on in the subways, and they shouldn't learn about it when somebody dies or is attacked violently the way we see it all the time. It should be a priority, and it should be on everybody's agenda. Every, every uh, candidate should be out there you know, proposing what they're going to do. But this governor is so silent. I don't get it. She's just sitting back doing nothing about it, just hoping that she can win on her laurels, which really isn't much. Well, Joe Biden stayed in the closet, remember, in the basement, and uh, it worked for him. But I think it is a different time. And in fact, by the way, over the weekend, a lot of Democrats were saying, I kind of hope Joe Biden isn't on the ticket, that maybe it's time for fresh blood. You think? You think somebody with a pulse? 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John, line five. John, your thoughts about skyrocketing crime, sadly, in so many cities. Yeah, uh, Rita, thank you. Um, you had a caller come a call in earlier and said, we well, should all say fornicate. Uh, Alvin Bragg. So I, I'm going to I'm going to put in my two cents. Fornicate Alvin Bragg. Fornicate Alvin Bragg. <laughs> That's very nice. I I I, I love our uh, new analogies and our new verbs that are coming in here. You know what? The key is to get out and vote. Aren't you astounded that he got voted in? You know, John, when he was campaigning, Rita, he Rita. very publicly said what he was going to do, and he's doing it. Rita, listen. He, he did say that, but our job is to vote. And ideally, we should have paper votes, no more diebold machines. Well, and also, John, people need to get out. I think a lot of times people don't understand how important these DA races are. I think if there's any silver lining, I think a lot of people will be thinking twice when they go to the voting booth, whether it's Alvin Bragg in New York or whether it's George Gascon in Los Angeles Certainly, Krasner, there's like impeachment efforts there. Uh, you know, we, we saw what happened in San Fran. There's hope. There's hope. <laughs> Go ahead, John. 
Paper ballots. Paper ballots. Yeah, and no hanging chads, too. <laughs> John, thanks so much. Let's go to Jimmy real quick. Jimmy, line seven, go ahead. There was a good uh, Samaritan report came out maybe two months ago. A little girl in New York was being savagely beaten, and the guy was going to be raping her. A man came out of nowhere, beat the living daylights out of the, the, the criminal, and then he fled. Now, maybe he was a guy in trouble with the law. Maybe he didn't want media attention. But that hero's the kind of guy I'd love to meet, shake his hand, hug him. I'd bring him out to dinner. He came out of nowhere, saved that little girl from a beating and a rape, beat the daylights out of the bad guy and we only found this out because the bad guy went to the hospital claiming he was mugged so while he was in the hospital the police recognized him from the report and that's how they arrested him oh that's a, a great mugger, that's a, a powerful story wow 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 well i think it's also jimmy people are fed up they are just seeing so how bad crime is you know i'm thinking of this case though sadly remember there was a good samaritan who was trying to stop the attack on this woman in Queens at the subway station, and then the guy started chasing after him. So you got to be really careful if you're going to intervene. Obviously, you want to try to get law enforcement, and you don't want to take it into your own hands. But people are just like, had it up to here, and they're seeing so many good people. Law and order on the ballot, everybody. Get out and vote on Election Day. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.